five, four, three, two, one. You are listening to the Mango Tea Podcast with Jody and DK. We are a nonpartisan Jamaican and Caribbean podcast for the diaspora. We give you tea with a slice of mango mm. and information on current events, politics and politics, finance, sports, and culture. We created this podcast for the diaspora to know what's happening in the Caribbean beyond the gossip. Welcome to a new episode of Mango Tea Podcast. Today we have very, very special guests. Excuse fishermen and friends of the sea. Yes, fisher, fisher, friends and fishermen of the sea. Sorry, I my notes are all over the place because I was so excited. Um, so again, Mango Tea Podcast here for the Caribbean diaspora. Um, we're gonna jump in with the questions right now. What's your favorite tea? Mango tea. How can you ask that? I want to tell you a quick story. Uh-huh. I traveled almost every single town and village and city along the Caribbean Sea. Uh-huh. And our Caribbean people are very different to the Latino people. So if yeah. you go from Costa Rica and you travel up and you get to Belize, mm-hmm. you'll feel the Caribbean flavor, the human um, sense of humor, the warmth. Um, joviality, uh, 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 flirtatiousness, uh, a joy of life, uh, willingness to and happiness, and 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 the joy of laughter. We are we are different. And although yeah. my, my ancestors are Syrian Lebanese, I really believe in the melting pot concept of the Caribbean. So I have um, Lebanese friends in from Jamaica mm-hmm. who are great African drummers and belong to a band. And I know people of all races that do all sorts of cross-cultural things. So I'm a real believer in one world and one people. And and and, and so I'm really happy to meet you, Judy. Oh, my gosh. Wait, actually, that's our, our whole philosophy. We believe that even though we're like dots on a map, we bring the most influence to the entire world. We have the best food in the entire world and the best mangoes. And trust me, I get into debates all the time about this. We have the best mangoes. Now they have these... World Bank set up farms producing monoculture mangoes. So mm-hmm. all over the U.S. you get one big fat mango that's tasteless. But in Trinidad we have some 32 different mangoes. I think we have more than Jamaica. And I don't mean anything bad, but we have a real fusion of mangoes. Mm-hmm. And until you have the cutlass mango, you've had yep. to cut unbelievable. I've I we interviewed someone and he was telling us about the cutlass mango. And when he told us, I was like, wait, cutlass? What do you mean cutlass? Like, how you get cutlass and mango? Where did that come from? And it, it was just so surprising. And you know, as we go on and we interview people, we've interviewed a lot of people from Trinidad actually. And the more we know, the more we interview, the more we're like, oh wow, a lot of these mangoes are very similar, but you know, uh so everybody will agree that. A good cutlass mango is almost as good as bad sex. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So I think this is going to be. Sometimes when I say that, people get angry. You know, so I'm so glad you laughed. Some people say, How could he say that? Did he say that? You see, someone, they just threw a paper clip at me, but I'm so happy to meet you. And I picked out your accent immediately. Don't ever lose it. Oh, I won't. I won't. Um, so thank you for um, answering that very, very hard question. So again, you this is a platform for young people, old people, everyone, so we can connect with what's happening in the Caribbean. So the first question is, official question, 
what is what or what is the friends the fishermen and friends of the sea what's the organization how was it started i know you guys were started in 1996 from humble kind of i don't want to say humble but from um an effort to increase awareness and educate people about um the northern coast of trinidad how did the organization come to be and what is the organization doing now this this is the part when most of your audience might switch off but because nobody wants to be serious nobody wants heavy stuff everybody wants to be happy but there are some things that conscious people um, must be conscious about and environmental management is a sore topic because people have grown up hearing about this late great planet earth and extinction and global warming and climate change and people don't want to hear anymore people are tired people just want to have a a zessa party and just just you know celebrate yeah but there is a time for celebration and there is a time for solidarity and there is a time for for collective action non-violent action there is a time for information gathering and some of your audience might be struggling to get sufficient resources mm-hmm. for their next meal and oftentimes it's very difficult to expect a person who's struggling simply to get bread for the next meal to have time to think about much larger issues outside of their personal fare but most of your audience already know where their next meal is mm-hmm. and they know where next week's meal is and next month's and next years so we are the ones who are eligible for conscious thought we must lift ourselves out of mental slavery and come up with freeing up of our minds yeah. and so when i was in my 20s i was aware of leatherback turtles these are 800 pound mammals that are very delicious if you cook them they're very delicious but they also have other qualities of being uh, 500 million years old being rare threatened endangered um and globally protected species mm-hmm. um and a whole string of of survival histories that make them relevant to the future and so in my after i passed through my teens in which i did eat the turtle and its eggs uh, and at which time i was not aware of the fragile ecosystem and the and the, and, the, and the place that these species have in our planet on our planet I I I took a different position and began doing work to protect these species. There were international groups that came here that taught people like me about the critical role that this species has on our planet. And so a long road I began journeying on a long road in my mid 20s. Mhm. And today three and a half decades later I'm still on the same road. and the, the the world has changed today people understand the importance of um rare threatened and endangered species and their whole string of protection but not nearly enough protection because it is we it is our millennial millennials who are mm-hmm. driving consumption they they are driving it and almost i i i feel sad to say that i feel that we have failed them i don't think you are more than in your 30s but i think we have failed our millennials by not 
creating the consciousness for them to inherit. Mm -hmm. We've only had one Bob Marley. We have not had enough conscious music that is celebrated the world over. So music didn't evolve with sufficient consciousness or culture has not evolved with sufficient poetry to encourage serious thought about conservation. So the young people who sit in this office of FFOS are rare in terms of number of young people that we have in Trinidad who are qualified and who do not have the consciousness of social justice. I mean, we talk about the environment and FFOS saving turtles, but we never started on turtles. That was when I was a younger man. By the time I got into my late 20s, I was fishing all my life and I had knowledge that shrimp trawling was not sustainable. And I was um, presented several um, papers and, 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 and letters and complaints and studies to ministers of government who understood what we were saying was correct. And okay. I'll take a step back. Shrimp trolling, that's the, um, it's when you cast a net to try and catch the, the shrimp into... The shrimp drops a net to the ocean bed and mm -hmm. there are something called chains, tickler chains, which are like six inch thick. Each knot is like 70 pounds. They're called tickler chains. So the chains connect the two outer extremities of the net and the two outer extremities of the net have a something like a hole, you know, like what you dig up the earth with. It's like an uh, like an L-shaped tool and the, you hold one side of the long part of the L in your arms and the mm -hmm. other part with the, the short um, edge, which is metal, you would plow into the ground. In the old days, the cow would pull the plow. You know, if you have that image of the cow in the fields pulling the plow, so you dig up the earth. But the, the shrimp trawling is conducted in the same way. And that is how 99% of the planet's shrimp are captured. And the world has not evolved to stop shrimp trawling. The World Bank, um, one of the most degrading institutions, in my respectful view, on the planet, but who have done a lot in the past 20 years to evolve out of the degradation of their own reputation, mm -hmm. uh, have financed a lot of projects a lot of projects, including industrial fleets, the shrimp troll. But in today's world, the World Bank does some good things. And one of the good things that they do is that they finance the World Resources Institute in Washington, D.C., where I studied um, mm -hmm. some 20 years ago. And where at the World Resources Institute, where scientists contribute, contribute to the State of the World Report, an annual document that's published in 40 languages and circulated for policymakers around the globe, they, they likened shrimp trawling to dynamite fishing in terms of sustainability. And then it seems that was in 1996, 1997. By 1998, they withdrew that statement as they continued to publish studies. But science cannot argue that shrimp trawling is sustainable because when you dig up the earth, you have an extremely high level of bycatch of species that are juveniles that cannot escape the net and of crustaceans and every living thing is killed. But worse than that, it plows the earth, the ocean bed, mm -hmm. which was created over thousands of years of evolution, the ocean bed, yeah. and which has millions of species and thousands of different, uh, millions of living creatures 
and thousands of living species mm -hmm. that are literally wiped out. And, and what you get left behind is a desert. So eating shrimp for a sustainable development person like me is like seeing that you are a child rights activist, but you enjoy movies where children are sodomized. It's, it's simply wrong. Shrimp trawling is one of the most degrading activities to our fishery on the planet, and we should have had a global boycott. But the millennials don't read about it. They're not, they're not conscious about it. We don't have enough of them that are coming out and speaking about it. So shrimp trawling is still occurring, and shrimp are still considered a delicacy that people pay a premium for. And what the World Bank has done over the past 20 years, recognizing that shrimp trawling is collapsing because even the shrimp in the sea are not sufficient to supply the global demand. So what they have done now is that in the past 20 years, they are financing shrimp farms where you might say, well, okay, well, you have a farm, so now you have man-made shrimp. So you've taken pressure off nature to have yeah. man-made shrimp. But the farms are lagoons, and the lagoons are the most productive ecosystem for spawning of juvenile fish. And the lagoons are where the juvenile fish have protection from the open ocean, open ocean until they can become strong enough to face the open sea with large predators. Mm -hmm. and then you have to feed the shrimp. And what they feed the shrimp is they catch juvenile fish, crush them, and feed the shrimp. So... All of a sudden in India and in countries where people depend on the smaller species of fish that are catch more abundantly, the shrimp farms are buying the food for their shrimp and competing with the local populations, poor people who depend on the juvenile fish for their livelihoods, to live, to eat. So this was happening in Trinidad when you formed, it was a driving force for why you formed the organization, correct? Well, the shrimp trawling was the primary reason why the organization was started with fishing communities who suffer the consequences of the shrimp trawlers because when the shrimp trawlers passed, they killed the ecosystem because the redfish and the salmon and the other species, the snappers that we catch, they they migrate with the shrimp. The shrimp is a food source for them. Okay. And when they come, when they migrate and come here, and the shrimp have been caught out, and the ecosystem where the shrimp live have been scraped, so it becomes a desert. There's no more. There's no more place for the for the fish that we catch to live or to eat. Mm -hmm. So that's how we started. But since that time, in the 25 odd years that we've existed. We've taken on a lot of issues about social justice issues and ultimately all, all of our ecosystems flow into our sea. So what takes place on our land, whether it's chemical industries, quarries, everything that whether farmers are using toxic sprays, industrial companies are discarding chemical waste, everything ends up in our sea. So housing development and it changes the freshwater runoff, it all goes into our sea. Mm -hmm. And so... So I hope that your audience is still listening. Oh, don't worry. They will. They will. So thank you for that breakdown. And thank you for letting, thank you for starting your organization. So what would you, in terms of the Caribbean, we're within the middle of the Caribbean, we're in the middle of a sea, the Caribbean sea. How fragile is our aquatic ecosystem, would you say? Is it at the point where no, we're at a point of no return? Absolutely not. We're a point of, we're never at a point of no return. Never give up hope. Never. Never. But 
for some of us who are on the front lines, it's difficult. It's becoming more difficult because the effects of climate change, um, uh, increasing um, consumption and use of plastics are increasing. <clears throat> Governments, particularly in our region, are becoming more dictatorial and autocratic. And instead of evolving with more dem uh, more transparent and accountable legislation, they're all backing back and mm -hmm. withdrawing from legislation. So the whole world is going through a convulsion because our Manelians have not stood up yet. They haven't stood up yet. They haven't found their voices yet. Mm -hmm. And so the politicians are sneaking back into their holes and locking their doors and doing their misdeeds and blocking us out from getting information and from seeing what they're doing, seeing how they're tendering for public projects, how they're spending our treasuries, how they're giving away our resources to corporations without protecting our interests and getting sufficient royalties. And we, I consider myself a millennial because I've been born again. We mm -hmm. need to stand together. We need to come together and talk yeah. and educate and inform ourselves, read serious things, read the newspapers, read the serious articles. Don't just read the comics and entertain ourselves with the games. Exactly, yep. There is a place for gaming. I'm not saying no. There is a place and there's an intelligence that will be born out of our gamers. But we cannot wait. We cannot wait for 20 years until our millennials are in their 40s. Mm -hmm. We need them now. We need them to start to take the baton now. They are leaders there are leaders who are listening to this program who I may touch and they have it in them. They know who they are and mm -hmm. they shy away from their responsibilities because they hope that somebody else will take the baton and run with it. But there's nobody else. There is only the person who is listening, who knows what I'm saying. And they feel it in their hearts and they say, shit, he's talking to me. And, you know, they are there. And yeah. they, they must come out of their closet and take ownership of their earth, protect their family, protect their unborn, not give up, not cop out. There's no hope in hopelessness. We must have hope and we must have faith. Some of them maybe are agnostic. You mm -hmm. know, they think that it's not relevant. This whole thing about God is not relevant. Yes, I'm a Hindu, I'm a Christian, I'm a Baha'i, but God is somewhere else. My life, I am here to live. But I I don't know how to say this, Jody, but I think God is in them. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have to go searching for God somewhere else. I think God is inside of us and he's speaking to us inside our minds in our best moments, when we hug someone, when we get that feeling, that thing we call love, compassion, affection, care, mm -hmm. sympathy. Deep. No, they're telling me I'm talking too much shit here, but... No, no, no. We love it. Listen, we talk all, We talk a lot on this program. A lot. If it is that I'm speaking to human beings, mm -hmm. then I, this is what I feel in my heart. It's my duty to say that they must not cop out on themselves and on each other because 50 years from now, they're going to be my age and they're going to feel the guilt that I feel of having not done enough, yeah. of having failed them. And they must not fail. We must turn the tide. We have to turn it against the enemy. And the enemy wants to take everything we have and fatten themselves and our position has been that there mm -hmm. should be social justice. No one should rape a child. No one should take advantage 
of an of of a, an, an employer six year old who should be in school. Mm-hmm. No one should uh, no one should should sodomize a sheep. Why inflict pain on an animal for self gratification? There are certain things that we cannot justify, and so we we must stand. Yeah, in Canada, when I was in university in Canada, I studied political sociology, but I used to love sociology, so I used to read way beyond our course of study. And in Canada, in rural Canada, in the 1950s, it was very common for boys on farms to have sex with animals. And yes, that's that's not a myth. It's all there in the library. I studied at okay. university. Yes, it was considered normal. You know what? I, I am not shocked. I've seen this on social media. Yes. <laughs> From all over the world, but yes. let let's take let's talk about what's happening now and what's why no was in the in the news. Trinidad and Tobago are about you know you know the Bahamas, Belize, Barbados, Guyana, and Suriname are all galloping towards the extractive of oil and gas, but none of them, none of them are putting in place critical legislation to manage, critical infrastructure to respond and to regulate. And so they're just like prostitutes rushing in for the money without a condom. That's what it's like. And why I'm saying that is that Uh Trinidad and Tobago has been extracting oil and gas for 106 years. And in the past four years, we have recorded 377 reported oil spills. 377. Although we have legislation that's 37 years old to prosecute the culprits, although we have an institution called the Institute of Marine Affairs to fingerprint everyone who's extracting so that if there's a spill or an accident, we can prosecute. Not a single culprit has been prosecuted. What does that have to do with the Nabarima? Is that we as a nation do not have the moral authority to teach Guyana, Suriname, Belize, Bahamas, or Barbados about how to manage the extractive sector because we are the most degrading. We don't have a reputation. So we cannot talk to Venezuela Mm -hmm. to tell our Venezuelan brothers how to behave in terms of responsible stewardship of the management of the extractive sector. So we, we face a catastrophe because the Gulf of Paria is a shared body of water between our two nations, Trinidad and Venezuela. And it's where literally millions of migratory species come all the way from the eastern seaboard of the U.S. to come down here and spawn. Lobsters come all the way down to our east coast. And so this body of water, there mm-hmm. are even species in this body of water that spawn, that live here and spawn 16 times a year. So what they do by spawning 16, like the croco, it does. By spawning 16 times a year, the croco supplies a feedstock to all the migratory species because they're constantly giving babies to this body of water. And so the other migratory species having their babies here, babies need to eat babies. And so, so, so it's a very intricate ecosystem. And in Venezuela, the Honorable um, Donald Duck, uh, sorry, Donald Trump, he, 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 he created sanctions prohibiting Venezuela from exporting its oil and gas. And as a result of that, 
the Nabarimo, which is a floating um, sto storage of loading. It's a vessel that does not have engines. Mm -hmm. It's just like a, a floating oil tank. Yeah. And it contains a capacity of 1.4 million barrels. The oil fields in the area are shared by an Italian conglomerate called ENI. And so the sanctions by Donald prohibits the export of the oil. And so Venezuela got stuck. ENI got stuck. They can't export the oil. I mean, I don't mean any disrespect to the your American listeners. And no. I, I don't no. mean any disrespect to, to Donald Duck Donald think what is his name, but no no no. We listen, we are proud um Biden Harris supporters on this podcast. We interviewed okay, interviewed a um a, a Haitian Trump supporter in our last episode, which was really interesting. Well, so, I have a lot of problems with the other guy, the Biden guy as well, because yeah. it's not a ball of bed of roses. Be careful. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, they both have good and bad, but we just have to keep pressuring them on the bad and keep encouraging the good. But Venezuela got stuck. And so there are millions of hungry Venezuelans because of those sanctions. Because the Venezuelan economy has been shut down. Huh? And Obama put those sanctions in the first instance. So yeah. one has to really wonder. But I mean, you know, when I, I'm saying this because I think, Judy, I'm speaking to you as a fellow human being and to your audience as people who want to feel and to know when I was a younger person, I hated apartheid. Now, although I'm not Afro, um, immediately the uh, Arabic people are dark-skinned people and are considered um, um, uh, Aramaic or dark-skinned people. And I took real offense to the apartheid institutions of South Africa as a child growing up. Mm -hmm. But when you shut down the South African economy yeah. in order to break the apartheid, it is the same people that you're fighting to save who suffer the most because the richest people in Venezuela are still very rich. And all of the people who are close to the government and high positions are not feeling the sanctions. It is the poorest people who are, who are struggling. Yeah. So, so I don't like the idea of the sanctions. Nevertheless, the Nabarima vessel got into trouble. We became aware of it sometime in mid-August. The Venezuelan government did not seem to be enthusiastic about spending the money to repair it. The Trinidad government did not seem enthusiastic about investigating it. And although we have an agreement that entitles us to cross-boundary information in terms of an environmental disaster, no one was willing to enforce it. Well, with 374 reported oil spills in Trinidad, yeah. you can see that we... Pot cannot call kettle black because pot black. So we just, <laughs> it has a whole yeah. thing. It's a pot, like pot calling kettle black because pot and kettle both of them got burned. But so we, we, we don't have the moral authority to, to force Venezuela to be responsible. So what would have happened? Like alternate universe, hopefully this never happens. What would have happened if the oil did spell from that tankard? Well, the Caribbean, the Caribbean Sea has more coral reefs than you can imagine. Mm -hmm. We have so many species that, that, that exist because of the coral reefs and so many migratory species that spawn in the Gulf of Paria and the Caribbean Sea. They come off the Atlantic into the Caribbean Sea. So, so it's a critical, critical... I mean, what happened in, 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 in where was it, in Madagascar, Lisa? In Mauritius. It was only 8,000 barrels. If you mm -hmm. go online and look at FFOS, oil spills, 
Labrie. That was only 7,000 barrels. And for four years, we had thousands of fish washing up shore in the Aripero Lagoon. A-R-I-P-E-R-O. In the Aripero Lagoon, for four years, we had fish coming ashore sick and dying because of chemicals that were in the water, because of the, of the, of the, not just the oil, but the dispersants we use inshore to, 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 to disperse the oil, which is itself multiplies the toxicity of the oil by 52 times. So I have a, I have a, a thing. So I have friends, I'm Jamaican. I have friends in um, Cayman, Bahamas, all that. And they've said, I've, I brought it up. I, again, I'm a, I consider myself a defender of the Caribbean. I love the Caribbean. I was born there. I want to see it grow. All this stuff. I, I follow the political thought of Mia Motley with One Caribbean. So they have always said, oh, well, that's happening in Trinidad. That doesn't affect me. If I go down next year, I can go to the to the sea and get my fry fish, my shrimp, and my cock. What do you say to those people? I'll say to people who like to scratch their skin mm-hmm. to remember that they, you have blood inside. For people who like to put on makeup and say, I'm pretty, Remember, you have a heart inside. So, yes, there are people, Jody, who will tell you all kinds of shallow things. Like people tell me, well, Gary, you have a business. Why are you worried about poor people? There are people that will tell you all kinds of horrible things. But you must know what Bob Marley would say. What is conscious? Mm-hmm. Where's, our, where's our higher consciousness? If it is that the whole Rastafari movement for 50 years have promoted conscious thinking, Marcus Garvey, there's so many people before us that spent lives, Mother Teresa, all of these people, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, all of these heroes that have passed on this planet, who I consider to be saints, to have given their lives for others in service and bringing people together, they have left us not to say shallow things, not to say, well, I'm going to eat my shrimp because I like my shrimp and I'm going to eat. If you know how degrading beef is, you, you could save so much rainforest to cut back on how much beef you eat. Mm-hmm. Maybe not cut it out, but you don't have to eat beef three times a week. You could have it once a month or twice a month on a special occasion and there's mm-hmm. so much rainforest that you would save. There's so many small things that you can do to assist the planet, buying a hybrid car, avoiding plastics, reusing your plastic bag, going to the grocery, with, not buying food that's imported, growing something in your own kitchen garden. There's so many small conscious things that we need to start doing now to save our planet. Mm-hmm. Building your home at special insulation so you don't need to heat it so much in winter or cool it so much in summer. Mm-hmm. Small things, Jody, that, that that we can do. So what's happening with the tanker now? Because it got yeah. international attention, international. People were yeah. talking about it on Instagram, Facebook for like two weeks, which is the usual cycle for, um, for news yeah. in our global world. Um, some people are still on it. And the reason why we did this interview to, well, right now is because we want to keep that conversation going because this is important. 
it's important to our entire region and the world. So what's happening now? What's happening now? Yeah. We don't know what's happening. You see, okay, let me put it to you like this. The Venezuelan government and the ambassador to Trinidad from Venezuela, Mr. Perez, they lied to us. When we were telling them that we have information and we have technical resources, we have what is called intel that things, the vessel was in trouble, they told us that that was propaganda by the Venezuelan opposition. On the day we went there mm -hmm. and took the images that we took when we were there, the Venezuelan ambassador was saying that the Venezuelan opposition are lying, that the vessel is stable and there's no problem. So we can't trust the Venezuelan ambassador. Mm -hmm. We can't trust the Maduro government because they have lied before. If someone lies to you, how do you regain that trust? If, now, they did a video two days after we were there. They did a video to show that the vessel was perfect. Well, if a vessel is in trouble with that volume of liquid causing it to tilt, how could you repair it, paint it, remove all the rust marks, and have all the instruments working, all the lights in the engine room, everything working perfectly three days after we were there. So we don't think that the vessel is safe. We have we have some sources of information. Everybody who worked on the vessel when we went down were fired. Mm -hmm. Everybody who worked on the vessel when we went down lost their jobs. So you see, now we don't know anybody who worked on the vessel. But because the Maduro government think that somebody on the vessel leaked information to us, they fired everybody. Now, those are people that have families. So yeah. I can't tell you more than I've told you, but except to say that it's volatile. The vessel is not stable. We're planning another trip, but we have to be very careful because they, they have the military out there waiting for us. The Venezuelan mil military? Yeah, yeah, they put fellas with big bazookas on the, on the vessel. We have pictures of them on the vessel with big bazookas waiting to shoot out anybody that is in their water um, without authorization. So there is a serious thing. So, this, so geographically speaking, this tanker, it's in, it's technically in Venezuela and not eight, in Trinidad? Eight miles inside the Venezuelan boundary. Eight miles inside the Venezuelan boundary, which is about 20 miles off Trinidad. Okay, so I'm at a loss for words. So what is, I know that there has, you, you mentioned that there was inaction by the Trinidadian government, but from a military perspective, because I know that I, I was speaking to a professor in, of criminology and he said there is no, I think it was no Marines. There are no Marines to guard the, the coast. There's just the Coast Guard, which isn't, adequately um, equipped to handle certain things. So what is what is the Trinidadian government doing? So you have the Venezuelan army or military on one side. What is Trinidad's government doing from a security perspective? The Venezuelan government have what is called the Guardia Nacional. And they are their, they are their marine military. Mm -hmm. And then they have their army. So the people that we have information that are on the vessel are the Venezuelan army. The Guardia Nacional have the vessels on the sea. Okay. And, and they have some radar capacity that they can tell if a vessel is coming towards them. So it's not like we can just go there. The first time we went, we took them by surprise. They weren't expecting us. 
and we had intelligence that their their Guardia National were in the harbor. So we, we ran in. But now the Guardia, we understand, are in the sea. So it's not like we can just go and check and see how it's looking and how things are. Uh, we have to be very careful because we don't want anyone else to lose their jobs because no one, no one working with the with the Maduro government gave us any information. All of our information is coming from third party sources. It's not coming from from anyone that's working with the with the with the Venezuelan government. So it's unfortunate that many people lost their jobs. Yeah. But but um, but you have to understand that Venezuela is not Trinidad, the Guardian Nacional are uh, extremely corrupt and you have to pay bribes. When they catch you, they'll incarcerate you and throw away the key unless you pay bribes to get out. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing. Three years ago, they captured fishermen who were, they, you know, they captured our fishermen who they claimed were in their territory. But I can take you and show you videos. At any given time, you have 50 Venezuelan vessels fishing in our waters and yet we don't lock them up. But they lock us up and they come here and they sell their fish because they get good money for their fish here with the Venezuelan economy. They don't get much for their fish. But we allow them to come here and take our fish. But we can't go there because they are, uh, it's like there's no law and order. Venezuela is a collapsed, a collapsed state where, you know, so many guns that are sold in Trinidad, the Venezuelan military sells the guns. So the bandits here get Venezuelan guns and big, heavy artillery, better than what our guns are. So it's, it's a horrible situation, and our Coast Guard are a disgrace. They, they, they're a disgrace. We have literally tens of thousands of Venezuelan refugees coming ashore here, coming every day. And, you know, our government have not done what they should do to protect our borders. So... That's a joke to say that the Coast Guard in Trinidad are adequately equipped. Most of the vessels that our local Coast Guard buy are bought, like the last two was bought by the Prime Minister without even consulting the Coast Guard. And he bought it from an Australian company um, who has sold us several vessels previously, all which end up on shore, rusted and, and derelict after two years. So... We, we are in a, a state of disarray. We are not a, a country that we feel proud of. We are a, a collapsing economy mm -hmm. where government after government have raided our treasury and left our people poorer and poorer government after government. While millions and millions of dollars, is billions, is earned by the oil and gas sector. It doesn't so, reach the ground. So I know that Trinidad had a very colorful election season earlier this year. And one of the issues that came up was the immigration crisis with Venezuela. So I know that um, both sides said some very colorful things about what can be done to address the issue. So knowing that the election happened, the conversation about Venezuelans, Venezuelan immigrants coming in, people see every day what what the Venezuelans, they see every day all the Venezuelans in the country. Because when I, I was there for Trinidad, that was, a, that's a big thing that people talked about. Um, and four, now we have the tanker. What's happening on the ground? What are the people saying about the geopolitical crisis with Trinidad and Venezuela? Is it kind of being... Jody, the first thing I have to say to you, if we're speaking in theory about national security and about issues, 
yeah. we can speak hypothetically about the issue. But when you are faced on the ground with a fellow human being, whether Venezuelan, Trinidadian, Jamaican, or from New York, a human being is a human being. So when you come upon a refugee who has made it into our country, it's almost inhumane to turn your back on them. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, I, 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 I think it's our responsibility to protect our borders. But for someone who has risked their lives, swam across a channel with sharks to get to shore, I don't think it's a human approach to tell them, get back in the sea and go back where you've come from. We have to have some humanity to our Venezuelan brothers and sisters as well. So that's one thing. Regarding the Nabarimo, we don't think this problem is solved. It's the beginning of a long road of, of getting the United Nations, in the one instance, the Organization of American States, the CARICOM, and what we have called for, we have called for a new body of Caribbean sea nations to come together and have three things. One is an emergency response preparedness so that all Caribbean sea nations can respond to emergency disasters as one people. So Jamaica should assist the Bahamas, should assist Haiti, should assist um, Cayman Islands, and on it goes. We need to be having an inventory of intellectual, infrastructural um, capacities so that we can share our response, our emergency response. But more than that, as a region, we need to have some minimal standard of environmental legislation. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't, in Jamaica, be approving a nuclear plant that if there's nuclear waste could affect the entire Caribbean Sea. You can't because all of a sudden your activity could endanger my life. So we need to have some sort of shared cohesiveness of environmental legislation and regulation and institutions that have a governing, um, a synchronized behavior. So... So that's what, but unless the millennial, you see, it may take 30 years to get this done, but it's your millennials who will get it done because it's not going to happen overnight because conscious thought has gone into the wind, into the Zessa parties. And, you know, they're not, they're not conscious thought is, it's a different kind of, yeah, we need to to get back to conscious living. So this is great. (laughs) I, I, through starting this program, I've learned about all these organizations within the Caribbean, but either no one knows about them and they're not properly funded. So I know that there is a Caribbean disaster preparedness group. Uh, The name is missing from my head. So would you think that, do you think if we invest in more into that group, we could have the institution you're thinking of we need to establish, or do we need a separate organization for the environment, for the Caribbean. But I, th- I think it should be a Caribbean Sea because we have French, English, Dutch, United States, and independent nations. French, English, Dutch, United States, and independent nations. And then we have Latinos, Costa yeah. Rica, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Mexico. I mean, Florida, must the United States shares the Caribbean Sea with us. So... So you have seven different separate groups, each of which have different types of leadership. Um, 
you know, so this is quite a complicated body that need to be brought together. So we, in, I mean, Jody, in my respectful view, this should be led by a United Nations initiative because all of these nations sit at the UN. You know, we all sit together in the UN. So, and all those people, the millennials don't know who sit at the UN. All of them get double digit US dollar salaries. All of them. And house, and chauffeur, and food allowance, and travel allowance. But and it's, what really we- hard, it's really hard to get in contact with them as well. Because we've reached out to a couple of ambassadors from all over the Caribbean. And I can show you my inbox now with all the responses. And it's zero. They think that they what they do smells sweeter than me or you. Yeah. They seem to forget their humanity, public office, and prestige, and money. People who get rich are often accused of forgetting where they came from. But we have to look back. We have to look back and remember that we were all poor. We were all farmers. We were all slaves. We were all immigrants. We were all prisoners. And that's why we came here. Mm -hmm. So now that we are all here and we're all free and we're all liberated, we're all beautiful, life must be more than just going to a party. It it must be more. You know, I grew up with Peter Tosh. Peter Tosh was murdered in Guyana. He was murdered. And some people say it was the CIA who murdered him. I actually think so. Because the Forbes Vernon government didn't have the wherewithal to be the way Peter Tosh was murdered. And Peter Tosh was an activist who was promoting conscious thought and the freedom of Guyana. And if you go back and listen to his music, it's 40 years old now. It's that long he's been killed. But it's all about this whole consciousness, being aware, being strong, brave, free. And, mm-hmm. and we need heroes to, to give our young people courage to believe that they can do it, not to let anybody cow them down, whether it's an abusive or neglectful parent or, uh, you know, uh, an, an, an obsessive or, 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 or wicked teacher that didn't take the time to encourage a student to have confidence. We must endanger and engender this the strength amongst ourselves that we can do it. Nike did it in large measure. Yeah. Telling people to to do it. Great marketing campaigns to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. This is your turn. I I don't know. You know, I always say, Judy, that whenever we speak out, we started FFOS 21 years ago, and we have the strongest team right now um, of people who I hope are, are committed and, And I always say that whenever we have an interview, I speak to the interviewer. Mm -hmm. I I don't get distracted by the audience or by the idea that it's being recorded or that I might say something wrong. If if we could touch one person, it it has been worth the time. I'm an old, like, you know, the old kind. I'm not a, a Bible stomping person or anything like that, but I believe that we have a duty to to share our message and to encourage goodness and to promote strength. And, and so like a, like a, like a washed out pastor. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, you're doing God's work, whether it's Buddha, Jesus, Mohammed, you're doing God's work. How can the Caribbean diaspora support this or your organization? Well, just fall, just read, read about where you are. We never wanted to be, We never worked with Greenpeace or with any international group. We always thought that we need to be local because we don't want to be uh, environmental imperialists or environmental colonials. 
So we would be happy if somebody wanted to invite us to come to a conference or if somebody wanted to invite us to share something with them or to speak to them. We are always happy to share, like how you call us, a locked off time is really important. But um, we, we want you to be conscious and to start your own movement, read about things. You could be 12 or 22 or 222. There's always hope that you can speak to people in your taxi, in your home, in your place of work. Just stand up and be counted. You know, stand firm and let your voices be heard. Like, if we could get people to stand up in the way we stood up in the Black Lives Matter, the mm. whole world has been changed with this consciousness. The whole world. The whole world. Now, I, 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 I think that this is the time for Black Lives to matter. It's, it's gone too far. We must stop it now. Mm -hmm. The planet matters. Maybe the next one is that planet Earth matters. And yeah. we all share and lend all races, all ages, all walks of life. In the same way we got together with the Black Lives Matter, we need to all get together for planet Earth. Um, Greta Grunberg tried, but not enough. She's just all alone speaking out. What's her name? Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg. I forget her name, but it's a great effort. Yeah. But but she needs to have tens of thousands of people all over the world, not just her, not just a few small groups. It needs to be the whole world, all ages, all humans. Yeah. You know, you like that, you know? So there's work for your people, for your audience to do, and I don't want them to feel that this is just, you know, just listen and switch the channel. Um, when I was much younger, somebody told me that the way to get educated is to read the newspapers. So mm -hmm. I said, but the newspapers? How could I become educated? She said, read what you are interested in, even if it's only the comics. It, just the comics, you could become educated because you could learn about life through the comics. Yeah. And so I used to read the comics every, the comics and the horoscopes. I used to read it as a child growing up, and I said, you know, I'm educating myself. And I, said, oh. and I think that for your audience, mm -hmm. if someone has an interest, you could pick your subjects and become conscious about it. There's child abuse. There's women's rights. There's ethnic rights. And there are all kinds of people being persecuted based on ethnicity, even darker-skinned blacks being persecuted and discriminated by lighter-skinned blacks, darker-skinned Indians being discriminated by lighter-skinned Indians. It's real. So there's there's so much whatever, environmental matters, economic matters, social justice matters, whatever your interest, you can become an expert in that field just by reading it. In my mm -hmm. early teen years, I started cutting out and keeping books with information about global warming and climate change. So I started educating myself. By cutting it out, I made a memory note of it. It locked in by taking it out of the paper and just putting it in a book, page by page. And I filled book after book that I could now go back and read the history of things. So there, there are different ways, but I think the newspaper is a tremendous resource. But don't read the whole thing. Pick out what, you, what you're yeah. interested in. Yeah, that's, that's what I would advise. So I have a um, one more question because I know we've 
We've been having a, a great convo. Um, very colorful indeed. What's your favorite mango? <laughs> I like doodoos. I like ver. Ver is a low, a low value mango. Ver, mango ver. Mm-hmm. And when it falls on the ground, on most mangoes, when it falls on the ground, it begins to ferment and gets rancid. Yeah. But but you know, long mango when it falls on the ground, I think it gets sweeter. Um, I like calabash. Calabash are hard to pick because it's a big tree. It's a big round mango. So you have to climb to get it. So it's hard to get, but it's a lovely mango if you get it green. Mm-hmm. I like Graham. Graham is one of my favorites. It's hard. It's hard for me to, to pick one. I yeah. love Judy. I love Judy. Starch is really nice, but starch is overrated. Really? I, I like sugar. Sugar mango, mango we have called sugar. It's really nice. Oh my gosh. Listen, I, I, I like, I'm ready. I told my co-host, he, unfortunately he couldn't join us today. I told him, I was like, listen, one of our first trips when COVID pandemic, the travel restrictions are over is we're going to Trinidad, not just for carnival. We don't need to go for carnival. I just want to go to eat mango. <laughs> we don't have any mangoes now. It's, it's out of season. Uh-huh. You have to plan it in the middle of dry season, like March, April, mm-hmm. mango festival. We have a mango festival too. Wait, wait. All kinds of things made out of mangoes and it's a whole festival. It's the third year running now. Wait, my heart skipped a beat literally when he said Mango Festival. When is when is it usually? I think it's in June. Eh? I have to, I'll have to find out and let you know. But oh every mango is delicious. And then mango chow. If you start talking about mango chow, yeah. a whole new phase of deliciousness. Because you put shadow berry, garlic, yeah. black pepper, salt, ginger, and pepper. Oh, God. And if you like pepper, we have, like, so many different peppers here. Oh, God. But Jamaica is famous for pepper, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, when I was, I, I think I was at the airport once in Trinidad, and I saw Bertie's pepper sauce. And yeah. after that, I have not looked back at all. Anytime, anytime someone goes to Trinidad, I'm like, hey, Hope you have an amazing time. Before you come back, make sure you get me at least four bottles of pepper sauce. So we have like three pepper sauce upstairs right now. And one, I think one of the bottles, we made the mistake of picking up a ghost pepper, um, Bertie's pepper sauce. And it's, it's interesting because it's super, super hot, tears, everything. But every single, I will sit down every single time put and put the pepper sauce the ghost pepper sauce on my food and eat it well we and have a we have a, we have a pepper sauce that i ran into in carifesta last year i bought uh-huh. four big bottles and i just ran out and i i cook i called the person but they're marooned in saint lucia because of the covid for the past eight months they're stuck in saint lucia they can't come home but this is a pepper sauce made with chopped up pieces of green mango and hot pepper. Wait, wait, are you trying when to get me When I tell you, delicious. <laughs> oh my, I'm writing this down right now. You, you've yeah, seen me take it. tell you. Really nice, but she's coming home. And we have a company called Modalive. She's coming to sell at Modalive because Modalive is, um, is the company that pays for fishermen and friends and in great measure. It's like a 
out, outdoors at Christmas time is like a big flea market where we get all people who make local things to come and sell in the car park. And so it's a love thing. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. I want to say thank you so much for yeah. getting back to us and thank you for talking to us. This has yeah. been a really amazing interview and I, I see a lot of myself in you, um, a lot of shared values. Um, one that we don't prescribe to the, the, the normal way of, um, of thought. And two, we call it like it is. If it's bullshit, it's bullshit. And if it's good, it's good. There's not a lot of good, but we find good somewhere, somehow. I'm sorry if I offended anybody by seeing Donald oh. Trump. No, 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 no. Oh, no, you're fine. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of people feel that way. <laughs> All righty. But thank you, and I wish you every blessing. And I look, if anybody in your audience wants to contact FFOS, they could, we're on Facebook. They can send us messages. And um, they, we have to share... We have to share our resources with each other. We have to, if anybody wants to start a group, um, that maybe be, become a member of some sort of group to protect water, to protect a lake, a river. There are all kinds of things that you can do. Start small, bring together people. A letter is a very powerful tool. If anybody writes a letter, just get three people, register an organization, and you can start existing on paper. You can have meetings. Don't feel that if you're only three people, you don't have enough. FFOS started with three people. Two of them are 25 years older than me, and both of them are still alive in the 90s. Um, and and we've grown based on that. And we've been to court many times. We've gotten lawyers to work with us for free on social justice issues. We've gone all the way to the Privy Council. We've saved so many farmers, so many, so many things we've done over the past 20-plus years. That don't think, never think that. If you think you're powerless, I, you know, Margaret Atwood wrote something. She says, if you think you're powerless, you obviously haven't been to bed with a mosquito. <laughs> One That's mosquito true. could keep yeah. you up all night, just keep harassing you and harassing you. So never think you're too small. All right, awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Mango Tea Podcast and, of course, sipping tea with us. Like this episode, download, and most importantly, share. Follow us on all social media at Mango Tea Podcast. And, of course, don't forget your mango.